Shopify grows your business no matter how far or big you grow. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your fans' next favorite shirt or an exclusive piece of podcast merch, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash income now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Welcome to another episode of Pit Lane Parlay. You got Frenchie as your main host today because I'm filling in for host Mike, who is recovering from some minor medical stuff going on, but he's okay. Um, he's probably just a little bit out of it right now um, due to anesthetic. So instead, I'm going to be doing today's show with special guest Sarah Levinson. How are you, Sarah? Hi, I'm doing well. Definitely better than host Mike right now, although I'll probably make just as much sense as he would as he's drugged up because that's where I'm at as well. So yeah, wishing Mike the best, obviously praying for his speedy recovery, but happy to fill in in time, although I definitely won't be as entertaining. No, no, you you will be just in a different way. (laughs) That's for sure. Okay, so I guess before we get into the stuff we're going to talk about today, do you want to plug anything about GridClick? Ooh, exciting. Um, so for loyal listeners or viewers of Pit Lane Parlay, I am, it's not the first rodeo of mine on the lovely show. So my name is Sarah. If you know me, um, I am a co-founder of GridClick, which is essentially a community of women who, what we do is we interview women in motorsport and we talk about women in motorsports. Um, we also talk about larger DEI initiatives in motorsports. Um, and it's something that we love to do. So yeah, we, you can follow us on Instagram. We typically do Instagram lives. We've actually recently moved to YouTube live, but we have all of our um, interviews recorded and left on our Instagram. We're also on Spotify, um, so if you want to listen to any interviews of some really exciting people, we've had Sylvia Below, who is the uh, first and only female FIA steward. She's pretty awesome. Um, we've done Ariana Bravo, who's a presenter. We've kind of done everyone across the board. So um, yeah, that's great. Click and come find us anywhere. It, this comes highly recommended from both host Mike and I, we <laughs> rather, whether you're a male, female, whatever, um, man or woman, you know, just it's interesting. Highly recommend checking out GridClick because uh, they're doing good stuff over there. 
Yeah, we're definitely not just for women, even though women is our focus in trying to like highlight them and get their names out there. Um, we've also hosted a number of men, allies, and our community is really varied across the board. Um, actually, one of my favorite more recent interviews that we've done was with Ludo Peze. He is the owner and operator of a driver management team based in Monaco. Um, and he also has his own driver team with about 30 pilots doing different stuff. So, um, yeah, he's pretty cool and we've had a really cool conversation with him, um, and a bunch of other people. So we're for everyone under the sun. I'm sure we have a talk for something that you're interested in. Cool. Well, um, let's, I guess, get into the main topics of today, but before we do that, let's talk about Patrick Tombe, because unfortunately he recently passed away. Um, after a battle with Parkinson's disease, he was born in 1949. So what did that make him? 73. Um, he was just, uh, for those of you who don't know who he is, I'd recommend looking him up. He was the guy who essentially replaced Gilles Villeneuve after he passed away at Ferrari. Um, but before that, he had been James Hunt's teammate at McLaren. He had won two Can-Am championships, I believe in 77 and 80. And he just, he's a two-time Grand Prix winner. and kind of known around the paddock as a really nice guy. I think I saw Esteban Ocon did a tribute to him. Um, mm -hmm. Simon Pagano on the IndyCar side did a tribute. Just a lot of people obviously looked up to him as one of these classic generation of French drivers who came out in the, the 70s and 80s. And, you know, just obviously best wishes to his family. And it's unfortunate to see these kind of older generation pass away, but they lead their legacy for sure. Yeah. I mean, you said his son is a driver too as well, right? Yeah. I think he's in WEC. Uh, his name's Adrian Tombay. I don't think he ever really got close to F1, but let me see. He, oh, he's racing in the, oh, he's the ETCR, which is what? Electric Touring Car Championship. Yeah. So he yeah, won that. Wow. That's an interesting move. Right? Yeah. Anyway, um, let's get into the news because we've got a bunch of things to talk about today. The first of which I think should be that the Chinese Grand Prix was canceled due to crazy COVID kind of raging in China. I re was reading about it earlier and apparently they have record case numbers again. And mm -hmm. I guess the policy in China is called the no COVID policy where like, they just lock down entire areas where COVID is yeah. spreading. I think they locked down entire areas and I think a specific reason why they would need to obviously cancel formula one is not just all of the fans coming in, but to my knowledge, it's, they would have to also every um, employee of formula one would also have to go through mandatory quarantines and just things that don't necessarily work on an F1 calendar, considering a people are touring different countries throughout the year. So you have that, but B, there's isn't enough time to go and spend two weeks or five days or whatever the quarantine period is now in China to not work and stay at the hotel. It's just not an efficient use of their time. So, um, I mean, I think it's smart that China is protecting itself, but it's also at the point it's like, okay, well, if you know that you're going to have these types of regulations, why would they even put it on the calendar in the first place? Yeah, I agree. I don't really know why F1 decided to have this optimism about China when we kind of knew this was going to happen. I guess because big money market 
and you've got Zhou Guan Yu in the series and they're hoping to finally do it, even though it's been canceled now, what, three years, four years in a row. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, obviously they would want to host it. I think that that's, that's a no brainer, but at the end of the day, if you kind of know that the COVID is still obviously raging, nothing has really changed on that front. If you can't host it because of your regulations and you want to protect your country, that's great. But I don't know, maybe it's, they also, every year they want to get a bigger and better calendar and keep beating out 22, 23, 24 races a year. And even just having that number of like, even on like a sponsorship collateral, I, what I do as my like full-time, my nine to five is I, I work in um, motorsport consulting and I'm working on some sponsorship collateral right now. And it's like those numbers and those stats are like really big money ticket items for people who don't know a lot about it. So I'm sure that that's part of it too, just all that marketing. They are apparently looking at Turkey or Portimao to replace China, which I guess could be cool either way. I mean, Turkey, I would be definitely for, but I think it took place. It was supposed to take place on April 16th. So we may see something show up on that weekend, or we may see it just go down to 23 races. Interesting. Oh, especially in a place like Turkey, where it's actually, I mean, it's not close to China, but I'm just trying to think about the travel calendar and all of this running around that they do. I'm sure that teams would be happy to have the week off. Probably because <laughs> I mean, what 24 is going to be the unprecedented most GPs we've ever had in a season, but let me see where they are right before that on the schedule. They're in yeah Melbourne. So, I mean, it made sense to go to China, oh right? You're on that side of the world, kind of, even though that's a yeah. really long trek. But if you go to Turkey, then the next Grand Prix is Azerbaijan. So that's, you know, that makes sense geographically. But then after that is Miami. If they go to Portimao, that's a mess. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. That would make no sense going to Portugal and no. going back. And then it's my, they go, oh my God. I thought that this year they were going, I know this is like beating a dead horse at this point because everyone talks about this, but I think that this year they were trying to actually coordinate the calendar so it followed the world, at least a little bit. But I don't, that's not the case at all. Yeah, I'm not seeing much of that, unfortunately. I mean, obviously we have stuff like Mexico, Brazil, and Las Vegas are in a row, you know, and then US is right before that. But I mean, before that, they're coming from Qatar. And then they're going back to Abu Dhabi to close the season. So they're really yeah, doing back no and forth sense. stuff. Yeah. Or even I'm looking at, you know, they're doing Australia, Azerbaijan, Miami, Italy. How does that make any sense? I don't know. Whatever. I don't even try to question this anymore, to be quite honest. They have their ways. I think <laughs> they have their ways, i.e. they get paid to do them on certain weekends. Yeah, I'm sure. And I, I guess you also have to consider weather. Um, I mean, I assume the well, weather, especially for places like Miami and stuff, right? Like Miami, it's you can't do it during hurricane season. You have to do it earlier on in the year and you can't do it over the summer because it's way too hot. Exactly. So I get that. But I, I assume the weather's probably pretty good in Portugal and Turkey in April. I don't know. I've never been to either one, but it'd be nice to see them go back to Turkey. I like. I used to love that track, watching that those races. So I'm gonna vote for that. But we'll see what they end up doing. Yeah, I like Turkey. 
I like, I, I just like Turkey a lot as a place and, and it's something that I know we're going to talk about later, but I also think that it would bring a lot of good money to Turkey. Um, you know, there's a lot of underdeveloped regions there that could use the boost. That actually brings us to a topic that I think I'm going to jump around a little bit because speaking of just about the schedule, Toto Wolf said something recently that I wanted to get into because he doesn't think that we can hide from the social justice issues when we're racing in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. And obviously he just acknowledges something that I think many people have talked about, but the FIA has never really addressed itself. And that's just that when you have such a big sporting event in a country, he says, it puts the spotlight on that country. It can trigger change because things can't be hidden anymore. And that's the kind of positive that a sport can do. Things are being addressed. Um, is it like we want it to be? No. Is it the kind of cultural standards that we have in Europe? Maybe not. But where we go and the people I speak to, I see process and I see change. That's maybe because we're Formula One, where we go may be different, but I see that we have an impact. Mm-hmm. What do you think about just going to Qatar? I mean, we're seeing what the World Cup is like right now, and people are kind of split on how they feel over mm-hmm. that. You know, mm-hmm. we race in Abu Dhabi, we've had um, races in Saudi Arabia, like you were just saying, there's, you know, race in, in Turkey, maybe we can do some good there. You kind of hinted mm-hmm. at what do you what are your thoughts on the Middle East and Formula One, because Aramco is a huge sponsor now. I mean, it just seems like they're going to continue to get more involved. And this little ancestral relationship between F1, the FIA and the Middle East, it will will grow. Yeah. Um, I think there's obviously pros and there's cons, right? I think Toto has a good argument and I don't disagree with his argument. I think that it is very important for awareness to be brought to these places, just like a lot of everything that's going on with Iran recently, all they want is eyes and spotlight and for people to know what's happening. And I think exactly as Toto said, when you're going to those countries, it puts the spotlight on those countries, whether they like it or not, to make change and do some good. I also aligned with that argument, think that obviously Lewis and Seb have had great impact on a number of different initiatives because of the platform that they're using to be able to talk about these things, especially with Seb leaving. I was always kind of worried about, okay, are these just social justice causes going to like die in a pit of flames because nobody's there to talk about it? And that's something that I'm glad that Toto is really stepping up to do at the moment especially, of course, following Lewis's coattails on that as well. I think, again, this is my marketing brain being my marketing brain. And I come from an almost like skeptical point of view. It's if nothing else, it's a good PR stunt for Mercedes and for Lewis to talk about these things because they've seen a lot of good feedback from it. Right. So, you know, Lewis stepping up and wearing the pride helmet during, I think the, the race in Qatar and doing all these different things. That's been a beneficial thing for them as a team. But of course, you know, I love to see that they are using their platform to help make change. On the other hand, by going and racing in these places, it is giving them money to be doing what they want to do with it. Right. And a lot of times that's not for good things. A lot of times, I mean, we've seen so many races like 
Saudi Arabia last year, there was little bombings happening and they didn't care for the safety of the drivers. They didn't care for the safety of the employees. All they cared was that they were getting paid and that the race had to go on or else they're not going to get paid. And it's, it's things like that, that like, of course, it puts a spotlight on it, which is good, but to what cost? So I don't know. I'm... I flip-flopped my opinions a few times on this. I think I'm going to continue flip-flopping it until I see actual change. Um, you know, if it's at the end of the day, if it's only just putting a spotlight, I don't think that that's enough. I don't think that that's worth it. I think that it still does too much damage versus good to be racing in these places. But if we do see actual change happening, then I can't shy away from the fact that this is an amazing platform to talk about those things. So. Long-winded answer, but a non-answer in the same vein. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't know if there is a right answer. So that's fair because, as much as it's nice to see, basically these issues brought up when you're in that country by an athlete that everyone's looking at, it mm -hmm. also may just be lip service and it may do nothing. So right. I don't see the harm in trying. Is my view. Um, if, if we continue to go there, which I don't think anything's really going to stop F1 from doing it. So might as well have somebody step up like Lewis and I applaud him for doing so. And he makes a lot of fans by doing it, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. but I think he also gets a lot of enemies that way. And you have 100%. to respect him and Toto because other teams and other drivers are conspicuously absent from these discussions and just willing to step up and be that representative. I mean, I, I like it. Cough, cough, Ferrari, cough, cough. But Ferrari also has to ask to go to the bathroom, so you can't really fault them for that. But yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I think at the end of the day, as long as there's people there stepping up and trying to make change, that's good, right? That's good something. It's good for something. So speaking of people that we want in F1, um, I'm obviously going to miss said but we already kind of talked about that in the past but daniel mm -hmm. ricardo is officially now the third driver at red bull okay can i ask a question really quick what the heck does that freaking mean reserve driver versus third driver because it's very specific that liam lawson is the red bull alfatari reserve driver so what it why third driver like obviously that makes everyone be like oh he's gonna come in but but like what, is there like an actual definitional definitional that's not a word like definition of a difference between those two terms or can they be used interchangeably that's that is a good question i don't know i've just heard everyone saying third driver so that's why i'm going to call him but i because am that's aware. what helmet and corner have released yeah. his title as it's exactly. not reserve driver it's third driver right and so i think two things is here's why i think that is Number one is I'm pretty sure most of what he's going to be doing is on the sim from what I've, I've been hearing. So I guess that's a way to say that you're like a test driver by, but giving it a bit more, I don't know, pizzazz or a bit more of a respect because he's an eight time Grand Prix winner and he started right. over 200 races. So you can't just really call him like the test and reserve driver, I guess, because I don't know, maybe they're trying to be a little bit nicer to him and give him kind of a, a position of honor in a way 
I'm not sure. That's what that's what my guess would be. Helmet Marco giving a position of honor. Is that a sentence that just came out of your mouth? Hey, I mean, Ricardo used to be one of, I mean, Mar- like Helmet Marco's guys. So maybe he still has a soft spot for him. Uh, obviously, yeah, he used to be before he stood up and left. And then Marco was freaking pissed. Yeah, but time has passed since then. It's been a while. I don't I think know. Helmet's not the person to hold grudges. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how good his memory is at this point anymore. He's in his 80s. <laughs> I'm just, I like to just insult him. That was just mean, That's but his memory's probably, he's probably smarter than I am and has a better memory and is more active. So I got to give him some respect, even though he reminds me of some kind of evil, like James Bond villain. Yeah. Can't shade on that. He absolutely is smarter than myself. Even as as much as I don't like him, he definitely is. Well, as we figured out, he's a doctor and we finally decided to look (laughs) it up and he has a doctorate of law from somewhere in from like seven yeah at the 60s it's irrelevant now yeah i wasn't sure what kind of doctor he was but he, i know he goes by that title so hey i guess if you earn it you can use it forever and that's a, a good example for me in the next few years when i eventually get my phd <laughs> when you when you get out of your phd candidacy and become an actual full-fledged phd Exactly. Then I'm just going to go by doctor and people are going to ask what kind of doctor and they're going to be really disappointed when it has nothing to do with medicine no, but it's criminology. That's pretty freaking cool. I mean, it's it's pretty close to law, right? Like they didn't have criminology probably back when he did it. Yeah. And I have to think that getting a doctor or doc, PhD, whatever, in law in the 60s, knowing Helmut Marko, he probably just paid someone to give him that title. So. You got to do some digging. We'll, we'll find out. Yeah. For anyone right. who's listening, you can tell that I don't like Helmut Marko, but we can move on from that. <laughs> Well, I, someone else you don't like who I know, and I wanted to talk about this. So this Daniel Ricardo move, I know based on listening to what he has to say, and if you haven't listened to the, what is it? Beyond the grid podcast with him that came out, I think it was just Mm -hmm. after Abu Dhabi. It's actually pretty good. He said he honestly wants a year out Mm -hmm. because he just wants to take some of the pressure off. Mm -hmm. So this is going to be good for him. Hopefully. I don't know if I see him coming back, but this is the scenario that I'm picturing in my mind and I wanted to run it by you. Okay. He's not getting a seat at Red Bull in at least two years because Sergio's there, even though we'll get to it, but Helmut Marco Mm -hmm. has said some things about Sergio that are making me feel weird, Mm -hmm. but it's probably just nothing. Okay. I could see Ricardo taking over for Yuki when Yuki disappoints again in 2023 and he gets that alpha tower seat oh that gives me so much pain uh yeah i mean obviously you know i don't like yuki so i'm glad to see i would be happy to see yuki out and i'd rather see daniel in the seat but i don't know man like i i still like daniel i'm still a fan of daniel do i think he's the best driver absolutely not do I still think you can listen to any of the other episodes that I'm on because I think I've said this a million times, like Daniel leaving Red Bull was absolutely the wrong decision for him in my mind. And just watching him jump around and flip flop. I just want him to like, if he seriously comes back in his sport and like wants to stay in the sport or truly, you know, Jesus to stay in sport. I just want him to like go somewhere and stay just like sit his butt down and be like, yes, I'm here watching him. Like, leave to go to Renault to then go to McLaren to then go to quote unquote Red Bull to then go to AlphaTauri 
even though Alphatari is obviously part of the Red Bull family, that would just like that trajectory just makes gives me pain. I would much rather see him out of the sport as a reserve and like being there to support or whatever as a third driver, whatever they want to call it, versus seeing him like dropped down the ladder. You know, I don't know. That just like Alphatari did not do that well this year. No. So that I, would be very painful to watch. I think they need an upgrade. And so maybe that is a good option for them. We'll, we'll have to see. I'm not sure. Um, I think they could easily pick up Mick Schumacher instead if they want to replace Yuki with someone else. But they're not going to. Yeah, no, it's just so a I weird market that. right now. They have no interest in Mick. They said they don't want to. I think the quote was, let me find it. I actually was looking at this earlier. Um, they asked Horner if they had thought about picking up Mick and he basically, or maybe his helmet. And they basically said, a, we have no interest because he's in the Ferrari family, but B, I actually, this was a really good quote. Um, okay. So Marco was asked if Red Bull ever considered the former Haas driver. No, he said pushed on that. He replied, no, we didn't because he's always been part of the Ferrari program. That's why he wasn't interesting for us, especially since our reserve driver takes part in many sponsor events in the USA. Ricardo is exactly the right person with his profile and image. Mm. So I think that that obviously makes a lot of sense because Ricardo is huge in the USA, but it also goes a little bit beyond what you're saying is their third driver is just having him in the sim. It's I they just want to use him a lot for marketing as well, which I think is genius because the Max Dan Red Bull days were freaking hilarious. So having that partnership back, obviously Checo doesn't have that je ne sais quoi, right? So I think having that partnership back is a really big marketing move for them. And obviously there's a lot of people that think that with him coming back as this quote unquote third driver that he might take Checo's place or they'll kick Checo out or whatever. I don't know how, I don't think I agree with that just because, well, obviously a Checo has a contract, which in F1 doesn't actually really mean anything because contracts change all the time, but B uh, does helmet is not someone who gives out grace. And so for him to seriously think that Daniel's going to perform better than Checo in that car, when Checo has been the only person that's been able to handle that car since Daniel which was however many years ago, number of years ago. And every one of those years since Daniel's left, his performance has absolutely deteriorated. So it's not that Daniel has a stellar performance in the last few years that Helmet's going to be like, okay, I'm going to push aside everything that happened. And I'm going to bring you back in because I think that you're going to perform and do well. Like he can't seriously think that, especially like Liam Lawson as their actual reserve driver. You mm -hmm. think he tested like 0.2% seconds behind Checo like and Checo again is the only person that's been able to handle the car recently so in my mind it doesn't really make sense for Helmet to bring him on as an actual driver to replace Checo because he's not going to be good enough to throw him in and replace Checo in my opinion it's all marketing and it gives Daniel that time and space to step away from actually being in the race car while getting a lot of money from Red Bull yeah no, that's true. I, and I, I heard him say on that Beyond the Grid podcast, too, that he almost just wants to go get in the sim on the Red Bull and be like, am I even close to max? Yeah. Because then he'll know, all right, well, where do I stack up? Then he'll really get a, right. a sense of I'm going back to this team where I used to be good. And I used to be like a 10th off of this guy who's considered mm -hmm. to be the best in the world right now or one of them. 
And if I'm way off the pace now, then maybe I'm washed up. Mm. And that'll yeah. be hard to, to admit, I think, but this will be the perfect way for him to do that without actually getting a seat. And mm. like you said, I mean, Red Bull's going to pay him well and mm. he'll get to basically do the fun stuff. Yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I think, I mean, could you imagine if he gets in the sim and he actually can stack up? I don't, I have no hope for that, but like, could you imagine if that was the case? That would be insane. I would love to see Daniel back at the top of the grid. It's possible, right? Hard to wrap my mind around now, though. But yeah. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads. But this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Get ready, race fans, because the ultimate NASCAR experience is about to hit the airwaves. Welcome to Pit Pass NASCAR, the podcast that takes you deep into the heart-pounding world of NASCAR racing. Join us each week as we bring you closer to the NASCAR action with exclusive interviews and all the news and rumors you need with your favorite drivers, team members, and industry insiders. So whether you're a fan of super speedways, short ovals, or road racing, or you've just watched Talladega Nights, Pit Pass NASCAR is the podcast you've been waiting for. Get ready to fuel your passion for NASCAR like never before. Subscribe now to Pit Pass NASCAR on your favorite podcast platform or head to evergreenpodcast.com and get ready to join us. Launching in the fall on Evergreen Podcast Network. Follow us on social media at pitpass underscore NASCAR to stay up to date with everything you need to know about the podcast. I thought of, you know, the potential of maybe him being able to come back and maybe Red Bull really is the only car that he can manage. Exactly. Could be. Could be interesting. I mean, it still doesn't make him one of the best drivers of all time because you see people like Kimi Reckon and you can throw him in any car in any series and he's going to freaking kill it. Like that's the sign of a good driver, right? So Mm -hmm. obviously Daniel's not that, but if he has one team, one car, obviously there's been regulations since he was at Red Bull too. So it's going to be different, but um, that could be really, really interesting to see. I wonder if they're going to release the sim times. I really want them to. You could make an argument that, unfortunately, I think Seb Vettel is kind of a a one-car generation type of guy because he had all of his success during that one era, and he was so dominant, and he really just got along with that car. And we saw sporadic Mm -hmm. success afterwards, but you know he doesn't have that adaptability like an Alonso or a Raikkonen has shown that they can just continually jump in any car and be Juan Pablo Montoya, like all these people who can just do what jump in any category. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I think Seb is an incredible driver, an incredible human, but he definitely like is the same vein. And obviously some drivers are like that. Now, Mm -hmm. you know how I feel about Alonzo. I promise I don't just come on here to like shit talk people. That's not my goal, but I do. I can support. (laughs) Good. I'm glad because you get it whether you like it or not. Um, 
I can't support that Alonzo is one of those people like a Kimi Rick. You can just put him anywhere and he's going to kill it. It doesn't matter how old he is. It doesn't matter what car he's in. Like he can just go in and do it. And that's something to respect. So yeah, I don't know. I'd be really interested to see how Ricardo performs. And obviously worst case scenario, if he doesn't do well in the sim, he's a great marketing tool for them. He's going to bring them a lot of money. And that is all that really matters in F1 at the end of the day. Yeah, there's no almost no downside or risk for him to do this. So for all those people questioning him, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with doing this. He was not going to get a better ride than yeah. this. Like I'm sure Haas, if they were going to put him in the seat instead of Nico Hulkenberg, was not going to pay him more than Red Bull's paying him to even yeah. not drive. So no. this is, he's going to do what he's going to do to be successful. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll see if he comes back, but Let's talk a little bit more about Red Bull because Helmut Marco said something pretty interesting about Sergio Perez that mm -hmm. I wanted to discuss because he basically made it clear that he doesn't think that Perez could ever challenge Max for the title. Mm -hmm. That he, what did he say exactly? Checo can certainly win a race or two, but at the moment, I don't see that he can challenge Max for a whole season. In general, I don't see anyone with the same prerequisites that can do this currently. And I think mm -hmm. I read that Christian Horner actually said the other day that he thinks only two people are on the same level as uh, Max in F1. And, and who's that? And it's Lewis and Charles. Yeah. And he thinks everybody else is just not on the same level. Yeah. I don't disagree with that. I don't disagree with that at all. What I did think was very specific about Helmet's quote, however, that it's he says, as you just said, especially since our reserve driver, sorry, no wrong quote. In general, I don't see that anyone with the same prerequisites can currently mm -hmm. do this. I want to know what he means by same prerequisites. Like in general, I don't see that anyone with the same prerequisites can currently do this. Then what who else could? Obviously, if he thinks Lewis and Charles, fine, but he doesn't, they don't have the same prerequisites as Max. They have very different prerequisites. So I'm wondering, and this is again my marketing brain, that wording is very specific. Does he mean history of Threadbull, i.e., Daniel? Yeah, I mean, that's sort of where I thought he was going with it. Because if we're looking at somebody who has been at Red Bull and that he can kind of ha have an opinion on mm -hmm. it's probably Ricardo, right? That he might be kind of alluding to there. I mean, that's what I thought, but then again, I just, I don't think that, I don't know how they could truly actually believe that Daniel could step up and be on the same level as Checo. Like, I don't know. I, I think that even though for some reason, helmet isn't happy with, Checo's performance I think I don't know here's what I think of this could be completely wrong Helmet is not fully happy with Checo because Checo doesn't check every single box he does well in the car he can manage the car he's performing really well is he going to become a world champion compared to Max no is anyone going to be a world champion compared to Max in the same machinery probably not they right? wouldn't let you anyway so exactly so like He's doing as best as he can in the scenario that he's in, but I think what he's missing that Helmet doesn't like is that marketability, is that, you know, power duo, it's that money grabber, it's it's 
people like he obviously has a massive fan base. Latin America is a huge, huge fan base for Formula One, obviously, with Senna and everything Brazil, not Mexico, but you get my dress, right? Yeah. So it's a massive, massive opportunity for him to bring in money. And he has so many fans. But for some reason, I just don't think Helmut either gets that or like that's not enough for him. He wants like the more US fan base or he wants a different fan base. I don't know what it is. So I think for Helmet, it's more so that he doesn't have the full complete package of someone who's a good driver and has, um, you know, is super popular in new markets, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like it's super friendly. Like him and Max obviously don't really get along for Mm -hmm. obvious reasons. Right. So I think that that's more why he's, would probably make public comments against Checo versus anything else. I also think it's just pettiness in some sense, like Checo's not a driver that he chose, right. That he didn't come through the Red Bull program. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess he chose him in a way, but it's, he's not like one of helmet Marco's guys, whereas Ricardo is right. right? And so that's just going to bias him. And I also just think there's such a bias among that team for max that if you mm-hmm. slight max in any way even as his teammate then they just kind of i, I don't know almost feel like threatened by max and have to side mm-hmm. with him or they think that you're committing the cardinal sin i think the a point that you made before that is hilarious that i've never really thought of but you're totally right was not only is there nobody on the grid at the moment who could probably beat Max in the same machinery, but they would never let them anyway. Yeah. Like they can't complain about something that like they're in control of at the moment. Right. So it's like, it's one of those things that's like, they're getting in their own way and they get in their own way. <laughs> yeah. And you're, they're faulting someone else for them getting in their own way, which is just hilarious. It, it's hard to know what they really want. Like they want someone who can beat Max, but then they wouldn't let you anyway. So then what's the point of having someone that can do it? Well, to get the most points as possible. But in that sense, it's going to get messy because if you have someone that could beat Max, but then you're saying, no, you have the skill, you have the talent, you're here to win, but you just can't. These are Formula One drivers. That's like, that's, it's in their blood. It's in their bones. Like they're not going to take no for an answer. Mm -hmm. And I think they're really pissed that Checo was unable to beat Leclerc in the championship. That was their fault. That was I mean, no one's fault but their own. Yes, but they somehow are able to look at it and blame him for it. That's what I'm getting from this whole thing. Them not allowing him to pass Max in Brazil completely screwed themselves over. And that's their fault. And if they want to blame other people, fine. But a spade is a spade. And we all see the spade besides them, apparently. Hey, I mean, yeah, those those three points that separated them at the end, they yeah could have easily managed that because three points are pretty easy to come by when you're driving a Red Bull. Yep. But I don't to know. To be fair, yeah. I'm glad that Charles got second, though. I think... That team freaking deserved a little bit of love, and Charles deserved a little bit of a hug from the world. Of you're you're still good, we promise. 
yeah, I would, if I were Charles, I'd be pretty despondent of just like, uh, I'm signed to this team who can give me a fast car, but not a car that I can compete with. It was so funny when he was like, you know, everyone was so excited that he signed the longest Ferrari contract. And now we're like, oh, pain. You've signed the longest Ferrari contract. Right. Yeah. Sorry, off topic. But no, no, no. It's okay. We, we've got, I think, just two little things to get through before we're done for this week. Uh, and the, the one that I thought was interesting is we finally got a little bit of a closure on that whole saga between Williams and Rocket. Mm. So Rocket, I guess, what did they do? It was 2019 they agreed to a sponsorship deal with Williams. So this was in the, they were still owned by the Williams family at this point. Mm-hmm before Dorlton Capital took over. So before they were more financially stable. And I guess Rocket saw their performance or I don't know what they did, but Rocket's got in trouble in a bunch of other areas too, apparently of just kind of Mm -hmm. leaving deals early. But so what they did was they left their three-year deal after a Mm -hmm. year. And Yeah, so what happened was they signed with them in 2019 and then yeah. halfway through the 2019 season, they signed a, like an extension, which mm. was supposed to carry to 2022 or 2023. Yeah. I think 2022. And right before the 2020 season, they pulled out whether that was due to this threat of what is this whole COVID thing happening or whether that was just a scapegoat for them to pull out kind of questionable but COVID is and potentially has been a part of the discussion as well considering they pulled out just before the 2020 season so they they are now apparently a a court in California has decided that Rocket will pay Williams 26 or 26 million pounds Mm -hmm. so I don't know what the remainder of their deal was that probably doesn't even cover it but 26 million pounds is how much in dollars? That's going to be a decent amount of money that I'm sure Doralton Capital doesn't really need the money, but mm-hmm. it's just kind of a good look to side with Williams because Rocket left early and hopefully they'll end some of their shady stuff because I know they were involved with, I think it was the Venturi Formula E team. And, and they were also involved in an IndyCar on the AJ Foyt racing team. And right. I mean, that went away. So right. apparently making a deal with Rocket may or may not be in your best interest. Is this like a rich energy part two? I don't know. It's getting seems, shady sponsors. It seems more legitimate than that, but they, they just also <laughs> seem to have their, like, I don't, I don't know what the word is, but they, ha- they have so many different sub brands. Like I'm yeah. on their website right now. And there's just a giant ticker going across the top of all their brands. They have Rocket Vodka. They have Rocket Cities. They have Rocket Phones, Rocket Radio, Rocket Gear. They have all these little subsidiary companies, Rocket Ride. I don't even know what these are. But I mean- Money it, laundering. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say shell, like shell companies. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know what's going on. I don't know what they, when you go on their website, if you just look at their homepage, it's really unclear what they do. Interesting. They just seem like a lifestyle brand. I mean, I, I, I don't know. So I've, ne- I've actually never thought about that. I've never thought to like look them up to see what they did, which is probably not smart. A conglomerate and startup incubator. That's what they call themselves. Okay. Interesting. So who knows what they really do? Maybe it's just sort of smoke and mirrors, but 
anyway, they, they pay, are going to have to pay out for this. And that'll be embarrassing because it's going to hit the news again that they broke that Williams deal and they can't just kind of hide it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So it's 26,220,094 pounds and 25 pence. The 25 pence just really makes it. That's hilarious. What that's for and how they agree to that. Yeah, that could be really interesting. I know that I'm sure Thornton doesn't need it, but I'm sure that the team will happily take as much money as possible. Oh, yeah. I think it also just shows you that you don't mess with these contracts of Formula One teams because, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe a team can dump a driver and a driver won't be able to do anything about it. Yeah. But I think when you mess with a team, they've got so much leverage behind them that you, I mean, even Williams, who we think of as one of the smallest teams on the grid. Mm-hmm. I don't think you mess around with breaking a deal with them. Well, yeah, if you mess with someone's, it, it was a title sponsorship. That's not a small chunk of change. If you oh, yeah. sign a multi-year deal and you're like, oh, no, never mind. I'm not going to pay you for the next few years. Like I told you I was going to, you have to find that money on your own. Like absolutely screws them. So yeah, if it's a Formula One team that you're telling them that they're not going to get paid their millions of pounds that you're due to pay them that carries the team and the budget, you're going to get screwed. And they, I mean, that was a team, I think probably in some of their worst financial shape at that point when they did yeah. that. So I think this just kind of gives them a little bit of a, a win, like a satisfaction of like, hey. You tried to screw us. We made it through and uh, you, now you have to pay us for it. Yeah, we hired Nicholas Latifi for a number of years before getting acquired by a PE firm. <laughs> screw you. We did it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I would say that that's like the kind of success that they wanted, but hey, they're still alive and it's still it called got Williams. Them through. Yeah, yeah, you know what? I appreciate the hustle. That couldn't have been easy to do either of those things. Continue to hire Nicholas Latifi. And be acquired by a PE for those are two very difficult things to deal with. So the fact that they did that and they're still going with a smile on their face, more power to them. Yeah. And, and no offense to Nicholas Latifi, but he's like the least Williams driver of all time. Like if you think about Frank Williams and his relationship with drivers, he loved tough guys and like yeah. kind of really outspoken. Like you think about Alan Jones, his real first driver, like Nigel Mansell. Uh, he had all these kind of like tough guys or like I don't know independent people like Jacques Villeneuve mm-hmm. or like Juan Pablo Montoya Ralph mm-hmm. Schumacher and there's Nicholas Latifi who's like he he just seems like I don't, I don't even know how to describe him but not a wimp but just no you could say I, wimp I feel like wimp makes sense but I don't want to insult him he, he just he comes across as very harmless he doesn't have soft that edge. Spoken. Yeah. yeah. It's very soft spoken. To be fair, hey, he's George a great didn't have dad. that edge either, to be honest. So no. I don't know. And but neither George does is Alex. Fast. Yeah, Alex Alpha definitely seems like a lover, not a fighter. So I think that, you know, this new generation of Williams drivers is uh is a bit different than the fighting Williams days. But oh yeah, you know, Wait, it's Lance also Stroll, say, too. He was not a fighter, he oh, was a I Williams forgot driver. About that. I yeah. totally forgot about the last several years. Yeah, I, so I think most people have. Robert Kupika? Yeah, I mean, I would say back in his day, he was a fighter. Yeah, 
but now he's not or his the not now the last few years he was definitely a little bit of a quiet soul yeah no, no, no i think he's always been quiet but he on track is where he did the talking back in his for sure his time with sauber yeah that was recent i think robert Kubica was like what 2019 2020 yeah, and I mean, he was Alfa Romeo's test driver for a while. He brought that Orland sponsorship. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, very interesting. I'm happy for Williams. I'm happy that they got that. I feel like they needed a win in their book. Yeah. No, this was not a good season for them. And hopefully next season's better. I don't know. I'm hearing that Logan yeah. Sargent is already struggling a bit, but Ooh, who knows if that's interesting. true. I guess we'll see. I'm yeah, the whole rumors. Logan Sargent thing. I know you guys have talked about it, but that's a whole other interesting can of worms. But uh don't think he's very soft spoken. I think he'll he'll uh he'll definitely do some fighting. Yeah, no, I agree. Last bit of news that I saved the best for last, I think the most interesting is that apparently Max Verstappen may be on his last contract. So when you told me this earlier, I tried to look it up and I couldn't find any information on this. So tell me, tell me more. Okay. So apparently after Abu Dhabi, he was quoted as saying basically that he wants to do other things in his life. So F1's a lot of fun. I'm having, of course, a lot of success. And I know my contract is, of course, until 2028. He says, of course, a lot of times I never noticed that until I'm just like hearing it. But he's like, I'll be 31 at the time. I'm probably still going to be competitive for a few more years. But in those years, I also probably want to experience other things and just have a bit more fun with less of a schedule. And he's apparently really interested in doing some endurance racing when his F1 career ends. So, hey, I don't know if he's if he wins a bunch more championships, maybe he just decides 31. I'm retiring. I'm done. Could you see it happening or is this just total speculation and he's just, I don't know, he doesn't know what he's going to do. So he's just throwing it out there. Honestly, I totally believe that for a number of reasons. A, at, by this trajectory, by that time, he's going to have a number of world championships under his belt that, you know, at some point it's almost like, why do you keep doing it? Which is, I know that's not true. Like we see Lewis <laughs> and we see Seb, like they just want to keep getting them. But yeah, I think Fernando it, has chased least, it for how long? I know. <laughs> God, don't even open that can of worms with me, Frenchie. Um, so I think at that point, he's going to like have one enough that he's satisfied. I think he's going to have one enough that his father is satisfied more importantly, uh, maybe. True. Um, and I, I think it's very apparent that Obviously, he likes F1. He's very good at it, just as he says in his quote. But I can't imagine at the end of the day that if it was his choice, this is what he would he would have sacrificed so much of his childhood and so much of his happiness to do this. Because if you know anything about Max Verstappen's childhood is that it was non-existent. So I think once he turns 31, it, once he's satisfied himself and his father, good on him to try to do other stuff and like actually live life and see what that's like. I think probably because getting in a relationship with Kelly opened his eyes to a lot of that of like what it's like to have kids and what it's like to have a significant other and what it's like to actually like live in a life. You know, he's a child right now. <laughs> and he's not feel like a, a sociopath like his dad. Exactly. Like I think he 
is I think it's, it would be way overdue for him to start doing that at 31. If mm-hmm. he's putting a clock on himself, it's like, okay, after this, I'm going to move on and figure out what I want to do with my life. But I have to like continue doing this. Like, especially in that quote, he says like, I want less of a schedule. It's like, okay, when you're an F1, that's not a thing. Like right. that will never be a thing. You will never have your own time. You will never have your own schedule. You will always be bound to the sport. Um, so I would be happy for him, honestly. And I think it's also going to get, again, with this trajectory, it's going to get to the point where after we saw Williams win for a number of years, McLaren win for a number of years, Mercedes win for a number of years, you kind of just like want to see something different come in. Mm -hmm. Um, So if this is the Red Bull domination era and Ferrari doesn't somehow eclipse them next year, which also we might be because other things that we've heard from Gunter about the Ferrari engine. Yes. you know, Fred Bull continues in this domination era and he's able to a scootle out in 28, you know, 2028 and be happy. Scootle out. Um, I mean, heck yeah, good for him. Yeah, he'll be by no means old, right? In 2028, no, he'll be extremely he's a young. child. Right. He said, like, the fact that he's already thinking about his retirement is hilarious to me because he's a child. But he's made so much money already. And like oh, you said, yeah. I do think he's living the life that his father wants for him. And mm-hmm. so while he's motivated, for sure, you can tell he's passionate about F1 and he loves winning because that was, and I don't want to say beaten into him, but it was, you know, pretty beaten much into forced him. into him. Yeah. Yeah. I think that he is more shy and does not like the media attention as much as like a Lewis or a Fernando mm-hmm. does. They love mm-hmm. the spotlight on them. They just have that kind of personality. Max doesn't. So mm-hmm. I think that part of this is tiring for him. And that's maybe what he's talking about with such a long schedule. A thousand percent, a thousand million percent. He's definitely not the kind of person that is super excited in every facet of the sport. He just wants to win. Right. And I mean, he's good. His driving does enough where he's marketable. But when you were talking about Red Bull needing someone marketable, I mean, I don't see mm-hmm. Max as a really marketable character either, other than his success on track. So Daniel is the perfect personality to bring into that team. Just going back to what we talked about a few minutes ago mm-hmm. to have that personality, right? Maybe not yeah. the success, but the personality that's missing at that team, because the personalities that you have right now are Christian Horner and Helmut Marco, and neither of those is very marketable or popular. yeah yeah i can't disagree with that they're definitely obviously the whole max fans is very divisive and the helmet fans are very divisive i think christian is a little bit more obviously there's been questionable things and there's a very strong group of people who don't like him but i think that he's a bit more marketable just because he is friendly like he's a he's Mm -hmm. a friendly person you can almost like respect him as a businessman like i respect christian horner I like Christian. It's my yeah. deep dark secret. Like no, I and think he married Ginger Spice. And he married sure, I don't I don't really know the Spice Girls that well. Sorry, I know racing a lot better than the Spice Girls. There are like two songs I know by Spice Girls. They were big yeah. when I was a little kid. Yeah. So I don't know. I respect Christian. I think that there's still people who respect Christian. Obviously, Max has a massive fan base of people who just like to support winners as well, which is nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But, you know, even in recent years, you know, I watch, I mean, it's, you know, it's usually nine o'clock in the morning. So I usually watch it at home. But the afternoon races, there's a 
bar in New York that I go to to watch it. If you're ever in New York City, go to Fiala. It's on 33rd and 7th, and it's great. Um, the manager, Kevin, he, they host for all the races. They open at 6 a.m. for all the races. Like it's it's the best place to go. I need to figure but, out if they have one of those in D.C. Like There must be a Formula One bar in D.C. So we've actually tried on GridClick. We've put out a survey for people to submit where they watch it in their local cities. But like mm-hmm. basically all the replies that we got were, please let me know because I need to know versus... Like there's not one in Miami that I know of when I live in Miami Yeah, and Miami is a big racing. Like we're freaking right next to Daytona, right next to Sebring, right next to St. Pete. And like, we still don't have any. There used to be Miami street races like in the eighties. Exactly. And like, there's still no bars here that I know of that play it. So whatever off topic. But when I go to TLA to watch it in New York, every single time I go, there's more and more and more Max fans. That used to be like a very solid Ferrari bar. And I think there's a Mm. lot of people switching allegiances. And even though he's technically quote unquote, not marketable because he's not a very friendly guy. He's not a very social guy. He's not like very, whatever. He doesn't like that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. He has a massive fan base just because he's good. And obviously that's, there's, that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, you support a driver, you support someone in your sport because they think that you're good. Like my mom's a huge, you know, that this is football or kind of going separately, but people, like people are massive Messi fans because Messi is a good football player. Right. Or, okay. Like, you know, it's, it's the talent that drives people to sports for the most part. Roger Federer. It, right. Yeah. Like people exactly. that are just amazing talents they support. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So I think that in F1, we kind of forget about that because we're, we see so much other stuff going on and we're so ingrained in the politics and the money and the dynamics that we almost forget that people will also watch a sport for like just hundred percent pure raw talent and nothing else. It's fair. Yeah. I've, I've never really come at it from that perspective, but I guess you're right. Maybe the more casual audience does look at it that way and Mm-hmm. When when you see the guy that's up front, that's who the TV's focusing on. And, you know, it was Lewis for a while. He has a massive following because of that. And yep. now it's Max. It's like maybe this is Max's era. Yeah. Oh, it's totally Max's era. 100%. And I think, honestly, he deserves it. Like, he's a really freaking good driver. We can question 2021 until the cows come home, but we can't question 2022. We can't question that absolute domination by both the car and the driver. I think it's, it's a perfect recipe that he deserves all the recognition. He deserves the wins. Some people are still going to question it, but we don't need to get into it. We can end on this note, I guess, before we mm-hmm. ramble on that, you know, <laughs> they, they had that, uh, that whole issue with the cost cap. And they're going to say that this is yeah. like a taint, another tainted season for Max Verstappen. I disagree. Yeah. And I think it sounds like you disagree too, but, yeah. uh, I think, I don't know. Unless you have anything else to talk about, we can call it there. Have you ever wanted to know how to win a Formula One Grand Prix? I mean, really know. Know about the driver tactics from the cockpit, the strategy calls from the pit wall, and even the mind games in the paddock. There's a lot more that goes into winning a Grand Prix than just 90 minutes of racing. So every week on the F1 Strategy Report, we're taking a deep dive into the decisions that shape every result. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato, and every week I'm joined by an expert guest from the paddock to talk through the big calls that won the race and the missteps that resulted in bitter defeat. Before every race, we'll look back at the previous year's result and consult the current form guide, and we'll be in your feed after every Grand Prix dissecting 
trendy outcome and what it means for the championship. So for your regular hit of Formula One analysis, subscribe to the F1 Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast on the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name's Michael Laminato, and I'll catch you after the chequered flag.